After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brother said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples may also see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come or not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast uh, because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. And the Jews there were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. For if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it's from Moses, but from, your, from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, he circumcised a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they're seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know what that, that, that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know that there is uh, where this man came from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he's from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. And I've not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than these, those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will find, not find me. And where I'm, I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go? That he will not find him that we will not find him. He's not intending to go amongst the dispersion, among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What's this statement that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost beings will flow, uh, innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
This he spoke of the Spirit, whom, he, whom those who, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the people there, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, "This certainly is the prophet." Others were saying, "This is the Christ." Still others were saying, "Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he?" Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to him, why did you not bring him in? And the officers answered, never has a man spoken this way, the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one, no one of the rulers of the, uh, or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our Lord does not judge a man unless it first hears him and knows what he's doing, does it? And they answered him, You're not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And everyone went to his home. I wanted to read the whole chapter because it is one continuum right the way through. In fact, the whole narrative goes right the way through chapter 7, 8, and 9. Um, but we won't read the whole of that today. We'll, we'll, we will do it in chunks. But this is effectively one piece um, of the gospel, uh, which is one narrative of Jesus being in the temple at this particular time. All of this chapter, and chapters 8 and 9 as well, take place at the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was... Um, Jesus' third visit to Jerusalem during the Gospel of John. The previous time that Jesus has been in Jerusalem, John describes was one of the other festivals. And it it was in John 5, where he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. You remember the man was lying there and waiting for the waters to be stirred up. And Jesus went to him and said, "Um, you know, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm waiting for the waters to be stirred up. And he said, well, do you want to be healed? And Jesus then healed him. And that was the last time Jesus had been in Jerusalem. But of course, what had happened at that time was that Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath and people had got a bit upset and bent out of shape about it. And that's what Jesus is referring to in this chapter, the last time he was in Jerusalem, which was at the feast of, of Tabernacle, of the previous, uh, a previous feast. Previous to that, He'd been at the, there at the Feast of Passover, and it, it was at the Feast of Passover that he'd encountered Nicodemus, who also comes up in this chapter. Remember how Nicodemus came to Jesus after dark and said, what, you know, how, how do we get saved? And Jesus said, basically, you've got to be born again. And uh, he had that whole narrative in chapter 3, which culminated in um, John 3.16, of course. So the Jewish festivals, first of all, Passover, then this second festival, and now the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish festivals form an important backdrop in John to the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. And John builds his narrative around Jesus coming up to Jerusalem for the festivals and then going away again. And this is quite distinct from the other Gospels. In the other Gospels, you don't particularly see Jesus coming up to Jerusalem for the festivals. But in John's Gospel, he focuses on the festivals. Each time Jesus comes to Jerusalem, it's for a purpose to celebrate a festival. And each time he has a fresh encounter, firstly in terms of revealing who he is to the many people, 
but secondly, in terms of an encounter with the religious authorities. And again, we see that encounter here as he begins to show who he is and then has a debate with them and those people in the crowd. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, was a commemoration of God's protection of and provision of the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness following the Exodus. Remember, they came out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, and then they dwelt in the desert, and they were in tents. And so the people of Israel carried on with this festival of coming up to Jerusalem and living in tents for about eight days to remember how they'd previously lived in the wilderness. So once more in this passage, we have Jesus being associated with the Exodus narrative. And we remember we've seen that time and time again through the book of John, reminding us that he is the prophet like Moses. And one of them says in this chapter, he's the prophet. And it's referring back to that same prophet. Essentially, the pilgrims would, would camp in the city and around the temple in, in small tents for eight days. And then in the midst of this festival, this festival of tabernacles, a procession would make its way every day from the temple down to the pool of Siloam. And they would collect water and the whole procession would go dancing and singing and, and, and celebrating all the way back up to the temple. And they would pour the water out on the altar in the temple. And they would do that every day. And then on the, on the, Last day of the festival, which wasn't the eighth day, although it was an eight-day festival, because the last day, the eighth day, was actually a Sabbath where they did nothing. But on the seventh day, effectively, which was the last and great day, which is referred to in a moment, they would go down to the Pool of Siloam, they would come back up, and then they would walk around the altar seven times, and then they'd pour the water on. And that was the really big time of celebration at the end of the festival. So that was all, all that's going on in the background to all that we've just read in this chapter. You've got this festival going on, and every day the big procession going and the music playing and the people dancing and the water being carried by the priests and poured out and, and all of that's going on in the background while Jesus is having this debate. And during the feast, as we shall see, John presents Jesus as the source of living water in comparison with the waters drawn from the pool. And he also presents him as, as the light of the world, as we'll see in a couple of weeks' time. And that is picked up in chapters 8 and 9, which is all still part of this same festival. So the narrative begins with a discussion between Jesus and his natural brothers concerning going up to the feast. Even though they don't believe in him, they suggest that he would be better off revealing himself by doing his miracles in front of a big crowd in Jerusalem than in the backwaters of Galilee. And there's a hint of sarcasm in this, as confirmed by John's suggestion that they didn't believe in him. In response, Jesus tells them, my time has not yet come. He says that in verse 6. He also says it in verse 8. In, verse, in chapter 7, verse 30, it says, his hour had not yet come. In chapter 8, verse 20, it says again, his hour had not yet come. What do you think? He's trying, John, the writer, is conveying through this repeated of this repetition of this phrase. John is tr clearly trying to convey something. And it's the fact that Jesus was in control. No matter what was going on, no matter who was opposing him, Jesus was in control. Not the religious leaders who wanted to kill him or his brothers who were mocking him. There was a time coming when it would be Jesus' time when he would be handed over to the religious leaders, when he would be crucified 
But that time was not now. Jesus was able to go up to the feast and continue to challenge the religious leaders despite the danger. And when Jesus arrives at Jerusalem halfway through the festival, we see the crowds are divided concerning who he is. Some are saying in verse 12, he's a good man. But others were saying he's a deceiver. And the religious authorities were just on the lookout to arrest him. People are also debating where he got his teaching from as uh, as he was not schooled. And Jesus affirms that his teaching has come from God and that those who know God would recognize that. And the next point of debate debate is over this, this healing that took place last time he was in Jerusalem of the man at Bethesda on his last visit and the fact that he healed him on the Sabbath. And Jesus uses a rabbinic argument a legal argument to argue with the rabbis um, that they should allow healing of a person on the Sabbath because they do circumcision on the Sabbath. And if we can allow that part of the law, then you can allow the whole person to be healed on the Sabbath. And so he thwarts the rabbis. In the same way, he thwarts the temple police. When they come to arrest him at the end of the chapter, so arrested by they are they, by his words, they go back to the priests empty-handed. And during this passage, five criticisms are leveled against Jesus. Firstly, they say he's a deceiver. Secondly, that he's uneducated. Thirdly, that he has a demon. Fourthly, that he breaks the laws of Moses. And fifthly, that he comes from Galilee. Whereas according to their theology, the Messiah will come either from Bethlehem or else his origins will be unknown. And in the passage, each of these criticisms of Jesus are refuted during the course of the narrative. Jesus is not a deceiver, but he is true and there is nothing false in him. He is not uneducated. He's been taught by God. He doesn't have a demon, but he has the spirit of God. He doesn't break the law of Moses. Rather, he fulfills it by bringing healing more than his accusers. And he actually does not come from Galilee, but rather he comes from heaven. And so in this whole chapter, we see Jesus dividing the crowd. He divides the people and their leaders. He even divides the religious leaders themselves. At the end of the passage, as we see Nicodemus standing up to Jesus' right to a fair trial. And this is the truth. Jesus will always divide people. Why? Because he calls them to make a decision concerning who he is. Every one of us needs to make that decision for ourselves. Nobody can make it for us. The question is not whether Jesus is a good man, as the crowds were discussing in verse 12. The question concerns whether Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the source of all life, the hope of Israel, the hope of the church, the hope of the world. That's the question we each must answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he in reality? He's not just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a man who did a few miracles. He's the son of God. And one who is worthy to be praised, worshipped and honoured. And one in whom, who calls for our absolute obedience. That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus divides because he always brings people to a point of decision. You can ignore him, but you can't sidestep the question, who is Jesus? And all people must come to an understanding or a reckoning, a decision point concerning who is Jesus. He is our only hope.
and our conclusions will determine our eternal destiny, as well as bring us abundant life here and in the here and now. In the narrative, some of the crowds and religious leaders rejected Jesus. Why? Because they couldn't accept that this man from Galilee, even though he gave profound teaching and performed miracles, was the one they were waiting for. Instead, they rejected him and looked for another Messiah. Actually, they did identify somebody they thought there was going to be a Messiah in one nearly about a hundred years later, in 132 AD, a man by the name of Bar Kokhbar. And the rabbi said, this is him, this is your Messiah. And he led a rebellion against Rome. And he ruled for three years, at the end of which the country was absolutely destroyed. It was a complete false Messiah. That's who the rabbis put their trust in, a false Messiah. There is only one real Messiah. There is only one hope for this world. There's only one hope for us. And that's Jesus. The world in our day is looking for a saviour. The present leadership crisis in the country has exemplified that. The world is ripe for a saviour. But it's also ripe for a deceiver to arise. Someone who can be one who can pretend or present himself as the one who can solve the world's problems. And as long as the world rejects Jesus, the true Messiah, they're open to deception. We must make known Jesus so that people have a choice to choose him, to choose the one, the only one in whom there is hope. Jesus brings people to a point of decision. We see it in the passage. We see it in reality. And we see it today. Right in the midst of this passage, verse 37. Now on the last, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And the context for this proclamation as I've already said, is the last active day of the festival. When they've gone down, when the procession has gone down to the pool, and when they've walked around the altar seven times, and they're pouring out this water on the altar, and Jesus stands up in the midst of all of that activity and going on and shouts out, If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. It's in the crescendo point of the whole feast as the priests are marching around that altar and Jesus gives his challenge. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And essentially he's contrasting himself with the waters being poured out on the altar and saying, the altar isn't the source of your life. The sacrifice won't do it. I'm the source of your life. I'm the one who can quench your thirst. I'm the one who can satisfy beyond all else. The water in this image draws from several Old Testament images. In this passage, draws from several Old Testament images. First, it reminds us of the cleansing that was part of the tabernacle ceremony and was identified with the laver. It was a washing for purification undertaken before the priest, by the priest before they could enter the Holy of Holies. Secondly, it reminds us of the provision of God in the desert. Moses brought forth water from the rock. 
And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that that rock was Christ. or was a picture for us of Christ. It's from Jesus that the water of life flows, who brings us living water. And thirdly, we have a reference to the waters that will flow out of the temple at the coming of the Messiah, as prophesied in Ezekiel 47.1-10 and Zechariah 14.8. And in shouting this, right at this point, this crescendo point of the festival, Jesus is drawing on all three of these images. He is the one who brings cleansing as he is poured out on the altar of the cross for our sakes. He's the one who quenches the the thirst of the thirsty in the dry and desert place. He's the one who's released the spirit to flow out of his temple. And it's this third image that John picks up on here in verse 39. When Jesus returned to heaven after his passion, he sent the Holy Spirit, who was poured out on the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And from there, the Holy Spirit flowed out of Jerusalem and into all the world, making known to all that the Messiah has come and that our spiritual thirst can be quenched in him. And John tells us that this is what Jesus meant here and tells us that those who believed in him were later to receive the Spirit once Jesus had been glorified. He's saying the coming of the Spirit was the confirmation of the prophecy of Ezekiel being fulfilled that the Messiah has come and he's come to his temple. And the waters have been released. And it's not a physical river that he's referring to. It's the river of the Holy Spirit that was released from heaven on that day following Jesus' passion. When Jesus returned to the Father, having taught his disciples, and he promised the release of of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been released. And the picture for us is, is of a temple with water flowing out. And who is what is the temple today? It's us. It's where the people of God gather. We are the temple of the Holy, of of the Lord. We are the temple of God. And from us should be flowing the water that will bring refreshment, that will bring nourishment, that will bring, uh, uh, be the source of life to all who come across our path, flowing out into the world from, from the midst of us. The Holy Spirit is given to us, not for us to hold on to ourselves, but that He might flow out and bring satisfaction to all who come across our path. Saturating the land around us so that people in a dry and desert land can wade in it or swim in it. Through us, Jesus, by his spirit, wants to bring refreshment to the whole world. And for you and I, we have the privilege of not having to wait for something to happen before we can receive the Spirit, i.e. they had to wait for Jesus to die and rise again and ascend to heaven. We have the promise of the Spirit available for us now. And what's the criteria for us to receive the Spirit? It was the same then as it is now, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, to put our trust in him to commit our destiny to him, and to give ourselves to him. And Jesus asked the same question of us today. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty this morning? Then come to Jesus and drink. Allow him to fill you afresh with his spirit, so that you are so full that the spirit flows out of you like a river. Notice Jesus' invitation is not not specific. He says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, nobody's excluded. 
If anyone thirsts, it's without exception. It's not based on whether you're good enough, knowledgeable enough, gifted enough, or anything else. The only requirement this morning is this. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I want to pray, and then I want to sing our our last final song. And as we do so, if you want you want to be refreshed just while we sing come to jesus and say father jesus fill me with your spirit afresh if you want more see the prayer team afterwards for prayer but we can never get enough of the spirit spirit needs to be in us but also overflowing and flowing out of us for that's why the spirit is given to bless and refresh all who thirst that we might make known who Jesus is. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you will indeed refresh us this morning, that your Holy Spirit, Lord God, will come afresh on all who thirst this morning, and that, Lord God, we might seek you more and more to know that refreshing in our lives. Ask your blessing on us now, in Jesus' name. Amen.